I'm gonna die. I'm gonna die historic on the Fury Road. Welcome to the Mad Max Minute. Arthur Ashe once said, True heroism is remarkably sober, very undramatic. It is not the urge to surpass all others at whatever cost, but the urge to serve others at whatever cost. This is Mad Max Fury Road, one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 115, which begins with production supervisor Holly Radcliffe and post-production supervisor Matt Town, and it ends with the many voices of Lee Perry, rounding out the rolling cast credits. We are not going to be taking any time to talk about the end credits, because that's not how we roll. Instead, we like to take the oddball week where the credits are rolling and all of that other stuff, but it's not like our last week of the podcast. Like We're going to talk about analytic-type questions so that we can look at the whole thing from beginning to end. You know, that sort of thing. For long-time listeners, you've been here before. You know how it goes. Anyway. Today we're going to talk about Max. I really appreciate this chance to just talk about Max and nothing else, because scattered throughout the season, we have made comments and we have said things, and it hasn't really been an appropriate time to dive into that subject, or something important to Max has not happened yet. So this is our opportunity to just focus on one person for as long as we can keep up the conversation. Exactly. So the first... And I would say most important question that I have about Max in this movie is, does he have a character arc? Does he change from beginning to end? And how does this experience alter him as an individual? I would like to start off by saying that might be a bit of a hard question to answer in full, because we don't really get to know Max before he is thrust into this world. We don't really know where he's at. We get so little of him before he is captured. We just get like these little tiny clues that he put his interceptor back together, that he is eating a lizard, that he is actively running from other people. We can gather some info from those clues, but the Max that we really have to start out with is a post-Citadel Max. And I think my overall answer, my yes or no answer to that question is yes, he did have an arc. I am willing to start before the Citadel because going off of his voiceover, he's talking about, oh, he's just a man reduced to a single instinct, survive. And so you get that sense that when they talk about him being a raging feral, that it's just how he was out in the wilderness and it's how he continued to be once they put him in a cage. It's not just them being judgy. Exactly. Animals in the wild are allowed to be feral because they're in the wild. They're in their natural habitat. And the minute you take, for instance, let's say a squirrel, you go out into your yard, you see a squirrel and you grab it, you put it in a box, and then you bring it inside your living room. Well, congratulations, your living room is going to get torn apart because that squirrel is going to go bananas. I think that's a very appropriate comparison. And I like thinking about Max as this wild animal out in the wilderness. And it is his natural reaction to freak out 
when he is captured and put in a small space. Mm -hmm. So given that as his baseline, by the end of the movie, he's doing things like telling people what to do on the war rig in the middle of a fight. He's performing a blood transfusion. He's voluntarily choosing not to ride the elevator. He's made a change from angry hermit to someone who can be useful in a sticky situation. <laughs> so sticking with the squirrel analogy, he has been tamed. In a sense, I think he's reacclimated. I think retamed would be a better uh, word. Because I think one thing that we have seen over a grand arc over all four movies is that he goes back and forth as circumstances drive him. He starts out tame and then he goes wild and then he gets tamed and then he goes wild. It just depends on his surroundings, how long he's been. So in this movie, we see another journey from wild to tame. I think you can also chart how his ghosts affect him as a good barometer of where his sanity is at because at the beginning of the movie he hears the voice and he's like oh no here we go again and then they're tormenting him and shouting at him as he's running through the citadel and by the end of the movie the ghost of glory is actively helping him not giving him advice that he then internalizes and uses to protect himself it's all very reactionary all very instinct based but it's still her helping him to make good decisions like going after the Vuvulini or throwing his hand up to his head to keep the little crossbow barb thing from piercing his skull. Yeah, she actively saves his life. Exactly. Instead of shouting at him, oh, you let us die. Oh, I really like that you brought up Glory and his visions and how he reacts to them. I would say his worst moment of seeing visions was when he was running around inside the Citadel. Mm -hmm. Ooh, it was a rough way to start out this movie. Very claustrophobic and cramped and dark with images that are confusing and it was very quick and in that scene those visions seem to be actively working against him and then throughout the movie we see them lessen in intensity and frequency and then like you mentioned we see them kind of turn a corner into helping him mm -hmm. would you have preferred to see more ghosts than just glory <laughs> i would have preferred to not see glory at all I don't think she should have been included. I think she was confusing to people who aren't familiar with the comic book, especially when she called them pop. So I like the idea of the ghosts. I think it should have either been a variety of ghosts of random people that nobody knows anything about. And the individuals don't really mean anything particular. They're just people that he has encountered. But bringing in one person that he has a story, who has a name, and who has a purpose for being there, that a person walking into the theater cannot be expected to know, I think that was a little bit unkind. Something that unnecessarily threw people for a loop, perhaps. Yes. I see Max at the end of this movie as someone who has the ability to go and instead of his first impression being a grunting, gun-pointing, surly man, now he'd be able to make an introduction and start making deals so that he can trade his services for goods, much like he did in Road Warrior. And there's always the comparison that we went over lots in Thunderdome with the hair. Mm -hmm. Started out with this long, mangy hair, got it chopped off, but there was an additional element that wasn't in Thunderdome. So yes, his hair 
kind of took him on this journey from wild to tame, but then we had this additional element of the cage over his face that continued that long hair analogy for quite some time longer. And I would dare say that the cage analogy is probably stronger than the hair analogy. He exhibited much more wild behavior after his haircut, but when he was still in the mask. And it wasn't until Max started removing the mask after he got the file and he was working on the file, it wasn't until that moment that he actually started to cooperate with Furiosa because his first act of voluntary cooperation was to go back to the gasoline tanker and fix it. Yeah. Well, he still had the mask on, but he had the file. He was working on it. And that was his first act of true cooperation, not coerced cooperation, of letting the women in the truck in the first place. Mm. That doesn't count. And then once that came off, it's not long after it came off that we have the scene in the canyon where Max drives the truck away. And we get this fantastic, very cooperative scene with him and Furiosa. It's not long after the mask comes off that that happens. Going beyond the character of Max for a moment, what did you think of Tom Hardy as the title character? Ditching Mel Gibson for this movie, switching over the character, how did it feel watching Tom Hardy inhabit this character that we've spent so many hours visualizing as someone else? Big fan. I had no problem making that conversion in my head. I thought the choice of Tom Hardy was brilliant. I know that because this movie took so long to get off the ground, that there were other actors. The one I can specifically remember was Heath Ledger, was originally supposed to be the replacement Max. And he passed away before the movie was ever made, so obviously that didn't happen. I have a hard time picturing Heath Ledger in the role. I think mostly because Tom Hardy fits so well. What about you? I like what Tom Hardy did with the role. I can definitely see where people are coming from when they complain about him that he's not exactly the same. But Max was going to be different in this movie no matter who you got to play him. And I like the way that Tom Hardy did it. Let's be real here. Between Mel Gibson's personal life and his age, he aged out of the role socially and chronologically. So you needed someone else to come in here and change it. And while I'm not going to look at Tom Hardy's Max and say, oh yes, that's the same exact Max as was in the first three movies, with the way the world works, people like sets of three. So it makes sense. Three with Mel Gibson, and then a potential for another three with a different guy. Pass the flag, as it were, from one person to the other. And I like it, regardless of having to leave behind a legacy performance. We have talked before about Mel Gibson and the potential for what he could have done with this movie. And I've been in favor of him being an older Max and making a Logan-style movie where we have this character that we have been through adventures with and he is getting old and we need to wrap up this adventure with him. We need him to find peace. And I was thinking about it prepping for recording this and I think it could have been a good movie and if they had made it, that would have been fine by me. But all the comparisons I've been drawing with Logan I've kind of come to the conclusion that it didn't need to be made because Logan was made. We already got that movie. We already got the movie of a tortured soul trying to find some sort of peace in a tortured life. And it was really, really good. And I'm just not sure that we need two of them. 
Hollywood might disagree. Right. Logan did so well and was such a good movie that I'm sure that they're going to repeat that theme down the road. But I don't think that George Miller needed to repeat it. I think it would have been a very similar movie to Logan. And bringing in Mel Gibson to do Mad Max Fury Road as a swan song for a character in the twilight of his life, that puts a very specific expiration date on the character. And that flows very easily into my next question. Is Max Rokitansky a sustainable character? Does he have an expiration date? Can you keep making these movies, in theory, forever? What I'm about to say is opinion that I've never said out loud before, especially to you. I think this should be the last Mad Max movie. Really? Yes. I think Max finally found a level of peace that he hasn't found before. And I think that there are other characters that could be very successfully explored. I don't think we should be done with this universe. I love the universe. And especially in this movie, George Miller went in a very interesting direction. This rebuilding of society, which he's been working on for the last three movies. He's been working on rebuilding society. So let's explore that. We've got Furiosa. We've got the future of the wives. We've got so much history that we could explore. So I think that this could be the last time we see Max. <laughs> well, see, the thing about Max is that he's the classic cowboy western character. He's Shane. He rides off into the sunset at the end of all of his movies, and it allows him to exist in some way, shape, or form somewhere out there in the West. All of those country western movie characters, they didn't just live on forever because nobody lives on forever, but they also never died. Who wants to live forever? I definitely see where you're coming from as someone who says maybe we're good with Max's journey because he seems to be making the same journey over and over again, going from despair to hope. Yes. And each time he's concluded that journey from despair to hope, his hope end of things gets a little bit better, I think. And I think this is the best one. This might be the best Max is ever going to get. He's been holding in his grief for so long that he is only ever going to be a certain amount of hopeful and healthy. This might be the best that he can do without professional help. Hmm. The man needs professional help. And aside from his own psychological issues, which he's frankly never going to work through, that's no. just not how he is. I think it's very important that at the end of this movie, he got to see the people that he was helping get to their eventual promised land, so to speak, that he didn't abandon them partway through the journey. Like if we wanted this movie to be more like Beyond Thunderdome, Max would have been the one to do some sort of grand sacrifice. And because it's Max, he probably would have found a way to survive it because the man is made of rubber. He's uncanny that way. But Max is always the one to make the grand sacrifice. He's always the one to drive the distraction vehicle or make sure the runway is clear. Nux essentially took that from him in this movie. And so Max was, for lack of a better term, forced to ride it out to the end and actually see the happy ending that everybody else was working towards. In the previous two movies where it's a similar storyline, a group of people that require his help, whether he likes it or not, we as viewers get epilogues. Yep. He doesn't. He wanders off into the sunset and then we get a few more minutes of movie. So he doesn't know that the tribe that went north 
was okay. He doesn't know that the feral child grew up to be the leader of their community. He doesn't know that Savannah's group made it to Sydney and started a community and a life there. They could all be dead for all he knows. Yep. And that's probably guilt that he carries around. He probably assumes that they died. For lack of better information, and with a pessimistic outlook, of course he would assume that. That he did all that he could, and then they just went off and disappeared, and to probably keep him from obsessing over it, he probably just assumes that all those people died. Which is why, as much as it would be somewhat satisfying for this to be the last Mad Max movie, I'd still like to see another one. If George Miller's got it in him, I'd like to see what else he can do. Because I do think that Max is an evergreen character. His archetype is so simple and it's so classic that other people have been ripping it off for their post-apocalyptic movies left and right. In the genre as a whole, does the Mad Max character find redemption? Well, it all depends on who's writing the story. (laughs) They can find redemption, they can make a noble sacrifice, they can wallow in despair. The man wandering alone in the wilderness is not specific to the post-apocalyptic genre, but it's definitely one that's been used a lot. And that's why I think that if Dr. Miller wants to keep making them, he definitely can. It's a sustainable character. It's not necessarily someone that can get a satisfying and healthy end to his story. He's got the right combination of grit, determination, and mental damage to keep wandering the wasteland indefinitely. And the lovely thing that Dr. Miller has done by writing these stories is that he can just drop his character as a point of view into any situation he wants, whether it be two factions fighting over a gas pump or a bunch of kids wanting to find a new place to live after some lady wants to beat up her business partner to teach him a lesson. Max is such a blank slate, he can literally be anything, anywhere, to anyone. Do you think that Dr. Miller should do the Star Wars universe thing and do a Mad Max line and then also a stories branching off lines? In the same way that Star Wars is doing its main numbered episodes and then doing like Rogue One. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Stuff like that. Solo. Not that Solo is a good example, but... I think Solo is a perfect example because what Solo is to the Star Wars universe is what people are clamoring for for Furiosa. Very true. I think he could do it. Like you say, people are clamoring for it. There's enough of a demand for it that it could absolutely be good ground for planting a story and seeing it grow. I don't know if spinning off into other characters is the right way to do it because part of the recognizability of the Mad Max series is that Max is a part of it. If you change the title for a Furiosa spinoff movie, you could say, okay, this movie is called Furiosa colon subtitle, but she needed Fury Road to establish her first before you could get the public to the point where they would jump on board for a story just featuring her. If he had changed the title of Mad Max Fury Road to just straight up Fury Road, taking Mad Max completely out of it, you might have lost some people that go very heavily on name recognition. There's a lot of power in a title. There absolutely is. I think we would have seen the movie anyways, because we would have seen the trailers and go, wow, that looks like a good movie. But the new movie 
was a big part of the inspiration for us to do this minute by minute. Mm-hmm. We're like, hey, we got a new movie. There's three movies already done. They're all good movies. Let's talk about them in a podcast. And it definitively tied this movie into the series. So I agree. I think that if Fury Road had come out as just Fury Road as opposed to Mad Max Fury Road, it would have been received different. But then on the other hand, we have spoken to many, many people, both on the podcast and in real life, who have not seen the other three movies, who knew that it was a franchise, but didn't really like have any connection to the previous movies. It didn't much matter to them. Yeah. On Instagram, I follow a couple of hashtags around the Mad Max series, and a cosplay image came up. And one of the questions in the comments was, I think they were, they were being kind of snarky, which I kind of agree with. I wanted to be snarky too, but I try not to be snarky in print. Are you just a fan of Fury Road or a fan of Mad Max as a whole? And the guy's honest answer, to his credit, he was honest. He could have lied and said, oh, I've always been a fan. I watched him as a kid. No, he's like, honestly, I just like Fury Road. I haven't really seen the other ones. And the asker gave a snarky remark, definitely along the lines of, well, if you're not a Star Wars fan, then you don't get to be a fan of episode eight kind of a thing. Yeah, there's a lot of gatekeeping in the fan community. You see that a lot the deeper you delve into some things. Yes, and I think it's easy for you and I to fall into that trap because we are like uber fans. We have done something with the franchise that nobody else has done. So it would be really easy for us to gatekeep about it. And I think we've done a good job of not. We've had lots of guests on who are just fans of this one who haven't seen the other ones. And that's totally fine. Right now, we're not talking about the other ones. We're talking about this one. I don't want to start tooting my own horn or anything like that because we're definitely not the biggest Mad Max fans in the world. There are a lot of people that show their fandom in a lot of different ways and would definitely outclass us by leaps and bounds just in the amount of time and resources that they've poured into their fandom. Yes, but those are the people we get as guests. But we also made a podcast, so... Yes, we have also... That's our claim to fame. ...hours and effort into <laughs> this movie franchise. It's just as legitimate, I swear. <laughs> but yeah, I think at the end of the day, I would love to see a movie starring Furiosa. I would love to see another movie starring Tom Hardy as Max. I would frankly love to see anything coming out of this universe. Like you said, it's a great setting, and I'd love to see more of it just because of the amount of dedication that George Miller is able to pour into his projects. He's a great filmmaker. I 100% plan on seeing that movie that he's working on now. What is it, like 10,000 Years of Grief or something like that? Something like that. Yeah. I mean, I could look it up, but I don't want (laughs) to. Honestly, when this episode comes out, there are probably more information about it available, but we're pretty much at the end of this minute. So I think at the end of the day, Tom Hardy was a good Max. I think we can definitely agree on that. Yes, strongly agree. And despite the differences in the ways that he played the character, it's still just as much of a viable character as when Mel Gibson played it. And for the love of Pete, the Max in this movie is not the feral kid. Oh, for heaven's sake, no. (laughs) That pretty much rounds us out for today. So we're going to put a pin in our discussions. We're going to come back on Wednesday. 
as much as Max would like it to be so, no man is an island. So on Wednesday, we'll be taking a bit of a look at Furiosa and the wives. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook by searching for MadMaxMinute, and join our Facebook listener group, MadMaxMinute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com, where you can see what's in our Tee Public store, join our Patreon, or even donate to the show to help us keep the tanks full. Thank you for joining us for Minute 115 of Fury Road. We'll see you next time.